You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello and welcome to the 1,937th edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk for the 13th of July 2023. The editor of this edition is Liz Roberts, the producer is Roger Morris and your readers are Carol and David Goodaham. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. We commence with the headlines. Girls' Night Out hanging up its bunny ears after 14 years. Allotment holders call for action over muntjac deer. Fire family left in limbo as inflation hits rebuild costs. Special award for exceptional Libby. A hospice has announced that its popular Girls' Night Out walk will be hanging up its bunny ears after 14 years and revealed the total raised from this year's event. St Nicholas Hospice Care will be launching a brand new in-memory walk for spring 2024 in place of Janix Girls' Night Night Out, which raised £147,313 from the March 3rd trek in Bury St Edmunds. Estimated to have raised around £2 million over the years, Girls' Night Out was the hospice's biggest money spinner and saw hundreds of women annually don pyjamas and flashing bunny ears to tackle either a 6 or 11.2 mile route around the town. Charlie Demore, the hospice's events manager, said, Over the last 14 years we've seen Girls' Night Out grow and become the incredible event it is. Everyone involved has made a remarkable impact on local patient on on local patients and loved ones that are facing death, dying, and bereavement. As we enter our fortieth year, it's the perfect time to launch our brand new remembrance walk, as well as some other new exciting fundraising events that everyone can get involved in. We are really looking forward to sharing more about these in the coming weeks and months. And we can't wait to see our wonderful community there. It's going to be a great fun. The figure of £147,313 is made up of the money walkers raised and support and sponsorship from local businesses. Charlie added, we are so grateful to everyone who supported our Girls' Night Out event in March. All of our walkers, all of our volunteers, our main sponsor, Janik, and our other sponsors, Haverbury Housing Partnership, Chassis Cab and Green King, you've all made such a difference. The atmosphere at the event was fantastic. Everyone really did light up Angel Hill. The money raised from the event will help local patients and their families when they need it most. Thank you everyone for your support. Nicola Barber, Office and Marketing Manager at JNIC said, to hear that the latest Girls' Night Out event has raised £147,313 for St Nicholas Hospice Care really is fantastic. We were pleased to once again be the main sponsor for the event, 
and we're also grateful to all those who took part and funds raised. These funds will help so many local people locally and support the important work the hospice does across the area. Each day the hospice needs to fundraise £12,000 to allow it to provide services to patients and their loved ones. An allotment holder in Bury St Edmunds is calling for a plan of action to deal with muntjac deer which are destroying crops and damaging biodiversity in the nearby water meadows. Steve Olson, who has rented an allotment plot in Cotton Lane for over 15 years, said the muntjac deer are forcing plot holders to put fencing around their crops and some are even thinking about giving up their allotments. He would like Berrytown Council to bring back allotment champions to ensure there's a plan to combat the muntjac issue and implement their request to install composting toilets. He added, When you walk down here, everyone is having to put up fencing all the way around the plots to keep this alien species out because they're just destroying crops and forcing people to put up and spend money on defences. It's very disheartening when you try to grow things. There's mice, pigeons, rats. That's part of allotment life, but not these beasts. There's thousands of pounds of damage, and people have given up. Councillor Diane Hind, Mayor of Berry St Edmunds, is keen to appoint a councillor as an allotment champion who will visit all sites and attend meetings, very much like the role undertaken by the late St Edmundsbury Mayor Stefan Oliver. She said, We do have an issue with Muntjac, and the animals are not as healthy as they should be, and are causing problems with the, bio with the biodiversity of the River Lark. The Town Council looked at the issue before, but it's something we need to revisit and come to a conclusion. I've asked the clerk for quotes on the culling of Muntjac. That is very much a last resort, and not something we wanted to do. We have looked at fencing in the past and we did increase the fencing at Cotton Lane and the Muntjac managed to jump it, so we will be talking to the District Council and to Berry Water Meadows. She added that it would be the allotment champion's job to discuss the idea of having composting toilets with plot holders across all the sites. You've got to have people who are willing to maintain them. It is something that will be considered and hopefully... We can get the views of all allotment holders, she said. A deer impact assessor has said that the deer problem at the Cotton Lane allotments and water meadows in Berry St Edmunds needs to be managed properly. Rob Jackson, who volunteers for the Berry Water Meadows group as its deer advisor, said the deer were damaging the biodiversity of the area by stripping bark off trees and eating new shoots. This destruction to the layer of plants beneath the tree's canopy, called the understory, has an effect on insect life and habitat that sustains other animals. He said, The water meadows is a very small microhabitat. Groups like the water meadows group are doing such good work trying to promote biodiversity of the habitat, but you've got a dominant species that is impacting that. No one is saying that get rid of the deer completely because they are pretty established now. They're almost native, but they should be managed so that they're part of the biodiversity. In March, the group installed fences around small sections of the water meadows 
to show how the environment can recover when the muntjac are kept at bay. He and the group would like to show residents a comparison between the fenced-off areas and the areas which are not enclosed. He also thinks there should be a period of consultation. Ultimately, the deer numbers are going to continue to grow because muntjac are a species that can breed every seven months, he added. My recommendation to the Water Meadows Group is to reduce the numbers and then each year do a maintenance cull to keep numbers at a level which is sustainable. He said he'd noticed the condition of the deer was not as good as it could be as they were underweight and likely to be carrying parasites. A Hengrave family are stranded in temporary accommodation after an insurance battle hit plans to rebuild their living, their, their fire-hit cottage. Sean and Claire Pickering said that their son, Spike, was left <coughs> homeless when a devastating blaze destroyed their thatched cottage and, and three others in Berry Road in April 2022. The Pickerings moved into temporary accommodation in the village as they awaited uh, insurance payouts. But more than 14 months on, the family are still awaiting a decision from insurers on the payout to rebuild the property while their contents payout took a year to arrive. Sean said the delays are caused have caused unnecessary trauma and he most feared over <coughs> never moving back into his home after inflation sent costs soaring. At the time of the fire, the first loss adjuster said we were adequately insured, but now we are being told that we are underinsured, said Sean, adding that the rebuild costs had increased from the I'm sorry, I have to stop. At the time of the fire, the first loss adjuster said we were adequately insured, but now we are being told we are underinsured, said Sean, adding the rebuild costs had increased from the initial estimate of £270,000, the amount the Pickerings were insured for, to £470,000 as a result of inflation. Uncertainty surrounds the £200,000 shortfall, with the family fearing they may be made homeless and in debt if it is not covered. Sean said, how could we insure for a credit crunch that has put the building costs up by 50%? How can this be our responsibility? Sean said, LV Insurance had been sitting on the latest quote for two months without making a decision. In the meantime, we are in limbo, he said. This situation has caused us more trauma than the fire itself. The more time goes on, the more we ask ourselves if we will ever go back home. We have had to fight every step of the way, but why should we have to fight? Insurer LV was contacted regarding the Pickering's plight, but a spokesman said they were currently unable to comment. The co-founder of Berry St Edmunds Rickshaw received a prestigious People's Honours Award at the Palace of Westminster last Thursday. Libby Renzetta, along with 25 other individuals, was recognised with the British Citizen Award 
for her service to the Barry community. Established in 2015, the BCA recognises exceptional people who worked tirelessly to create a positive impact on society. John Saunders, a community volunteer who nominated Libby, described her efforts as an example to follow. He said, People of Bury St Edmunds and beyond owe her a debt of gratitude for her unstinting service as a volunteer and her contribution to a range of achievements. I am amongst many who will see the British Citizen Award as fitting recognition for someone so generous, dedicated and successful. Libby co-founded Berry Rickshaw in 2018 to give free rides around town to people experiencing limited mobility and or social isolation. In 2020, during the pandemic, the Rickshaw volunteers mobilised to deliver medicine and food by bicycle to those self-isolating and to charities working with vulnerable people. John added, I first got to know Libby five years ago when I volunteered as a rickshaw rider. From the outset, I was impressed by her enthusiasm and commitment. It was clear that this scheme was going to work for the benefit of people who were in care, isolation or unable to enjoy the pleasures we take for granted. Last year, the scheme received the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service. Libby's charitable work for the rickshaw is one among many others. She is also dedicated to improving the environment. In 2022, she co-founded Eco Carriers Bike Library and the award-winning Bike Train. Libby is also chair of Berry Water Meadows Group. John said, Cycling, clearing litter, preserving our water meadows, minimising waste are part of her everyday life as an active volunteer. She has made a tremendous impact through organising and participating in events. She is a person who is willing to give her time and literally get her hands dirty, often to clean up the failings of others. Libby was presented with the, Medi- with the, uh, the Medal of Honour by Alison Bond, BCA Ambassador. A Barningham metal detectorist also dug up a 2,000-year-old Roman discovery on a West Suffolk estate and is delighted that it has finally gone on public display. Martin White, one of the directors of family-run Berry St Edmund's business Capricorn Carpets, found a collection of late Roman pewter plates, platters, bowls and a cup in Euston in 2022 during an East of England rally, an organised detecting event. Now the pieces are on show at Westow Anglo-Saxon Village until January 2024. Describing how he found the artefacts, the 51-year-old said, This rally had around 500 people there. I was down the bottom of a gigantic field and was hearing that others were picking up lots of Roman coins from a certain area. I wandered up there, picked up a couple of coins myself, and then the detector went off. It was that sweet tone you were looking for all the time, and I could tell it was a a deep. Martin began to dig, and as the hole got bigger, it was attracting a lot of attention. Martin added, I was smack bang on the top of it. Then, Roman writing appeared as I cleared the, the dirt away. 
I knew it was something special. The find was protected until Norfolk Museum Service Conservators could come, could come and, with the help of Martin, excavate the pieces. He said, to be part of the whole process, and having found something that has only been discovered in only a few other places in, in the UK, made it pretty special. Martin has visited Westow to see the items on display and said it was good that people were able to see them instead of them being lost to time. A patron for social media metal detecting show found in the ground, Martin said, it is amazing, Westow is a fabulous place and it is in incredible that something that has been sitting in the ground for 2,000 years is now out. Metal detecting, detecting is a fantastic hobby my dad Ian first got me into it. He would deliberately hide old coins in the garden for me to find, and my love for it has grown from there. It's also something for all ages, and there are uh, numerous metal-detecting opportunities, such as East of England rallies, where people can get out there and give metal-detecting a go. A Barry St Edmunds resident has embarked on his next random act of kindness by hiring a cinema screen for the community. Thomas Howard, who is 27, had been planning to do something nice for the community since Halloween last year and decided to put the money towards hiring a screen at the town's Cineworld and providing snacks and drinks for the film. He said, I've been acutely aware that a lot of people, including myself, have been struggling financially. I think the atmosphere in general is a bit more gloomy everywhere. Because of that, I've been trying to do things in the community. Halloween last year, I gave out treat bags to people who couldn't go trick or treating or who couldn't afford costumes. I've also done litter picking and I thought, what else can I do to help support people? I saw online that you can hire cinema screens, so I thought I could invite those who usually don't go or can't afford to go. I was overwhelmed by the response. Tom has chosen the Disney film Elemental and has booked the screen for July the 20th at 4pm. He said 32 people had already said they were going and had capped the number of places at 40. As someone who has autism and suffers sensory overloads, Tom wanted to ensure the screen is spacious for those with disabilities and learning needs. He hopes to potentially do something similar on a bigger scale in the future. Other people have got in touch and are offering to help, so perhaps we can do other events, he added. A couple who have opened their garden to the public for 26 years have done it for the last time. Rita and Roy Cooper from Stow Upland, Suffolk, who are both in their 80s, have supported local charities by sharing their passion for gardening. This year the St Elizabeth Hospice in Ipswich will benefit, but Mr Cooper said he just can't do it any more. I wish I could, mind you, but come next year if I'm still ticking, I might change my mind, he said. The Coopers, who have been married for 66 years, started work on the garden just after they moved in, when the only thing on the land was a Bramley apple tree. We've always liked gardens, we've always liked flowers, so we thought this was the place, Mrs Cooper said. I think we built the pond first 
and then built round that, and gradually it got bigger and bigger. As well as hundreds of species of flowers, the couple also have a tree house, an aviary with canaries, greenhouses, a summer house, and they grow blackberries for the birds. Mr Cooper said they found that all the people who came to see the garden on their annual open day were so friendly. They always ask me questions that I don't know the answer to, because I don't know one flower from the other, really, he said. I know the basic ones, but there's hundreds of plants in this garden, and I just don't know them all. He added that maintenance was sometimes a struggle. A lady comes in once a fortnight for a couple of hours to do the weeding, because once I get down, I can't get up again. But apart from that, I manage, he said. Rather than sit indoors, I'd rather get out here and try and do something, and I think that's what keeps me going. But by dinner time, I've had it. I have to have a little nap then. People in Suffolk are being reminded to dispose of waste batteries properly following a huge fire which saw 50 tonnes of rubbish set alight. Firefighters from across the county were called to Haverhill Waste Transfer Station on June the 16th after the braze broke out. While the precise cause of the fire is still to be established, FCC Environment, which manages recycling centres and waste stations in Suffolk, believe it is likely to have been caused by a battery which managed to spark. A similar incident happened at a recycling facility in Great Blakenham in June 2022, when a battery was um, dumped among household waste. All batteries should be disposed of either at recycling centres or in collection points at most large stores where they are sold. Richard Smith, Suffolk County Council Cabinet Member for Economic Development, Transport, Strategy and Waste, said, Batteries are everyday items we all take for granted, but they need to be disposed of properly because if they end up in black bin bags, they can cause fires as they are processed. The impact of any fire is felt across the entire waste journey, as it means facilities can be taken out of action for a period of remedial works. Thousands of people visited the Hidden Gardens of Bury St Edmunds at the weekend. The annual Hidden Gardens event held on Sunday offered a rare opportunity for visitors to explore around 30 stunning gardens within the town centre. Four gardens also opened along Westley Road. Through the entrance fee of £7 and donations, the event raises money for St Nicholas Hospice, for St Nicholas Hospice Care, a charity providing help advice and support to people in West Suffolk and Thetford who are facing dying, death and grief. Some 1,300 visitors from across the region enjoyed everything from secret patios to immaculate lawns, vibrant borders, flourishing vegetable gardens and glorious greenhouses. The total funds raised is still being counted. A 72-year-old man has been handed a suspended prison sentence after five young goshawks were discovered dumped in a parking area. Francis Addison of South Park, Wheating, was sentenced to 12 weeks in prison, suspended for 12 months, after pleading guilty to 19 offences, including numerous breaches of firearms licence conditions. 
The court heard the rare gashawks, a protected species, were discovered by Forestry England on January the 16th in a parking area of the B1106 near King's Forest, Wordwell. X-rays showed all five birds suffered injuries from multiple pieces of shot. Officers arrested Addison on March the 27th after his DNA was discovered on one of the birds. Following a search of his home, he was also arrested on suspicion of breaching firearms licence conditions after air rifles, shotguns and ammunition were discovered in unsecured cupboards in his car and coat pockets. Police also discovered an animal trap for which use had not been approved. Magistrates heard that Addison, a former military firearms instructor and part-time gamekeeper, told police that he had found the goshawks while walking his dog. He said he took them home with the intention of putting them in the freezer and taking them to the British Trust for Ornithology in Thetford. When a friend told him it was it was also illegal to be in possession of the birds, he panicked and took them back. In mitigation, solicitor Lisa Robinson said there was no evidence to suggest Addison had killed the birds and he had only pleaded guilty to possession. Regarding the unsecured weapons and ammunition, she said that Addison had become complacent. Magistrate Mary Wyndham said that Given Addison's background in the military and as a gamekeeper, he should have known better and had treated his licence conditions almost to the level of disdain. Addison was also ordered to pay £1,080 compensation for the cost of the examinations of the Goshawks, court costs of £105 and a surcharge of £154. His firearms, ammunition and traps also to be forfeited. Suffolk's farmers are upbeat about their crops ahead of this year's harvest, despite the hottest UK June on record. Next week, some Suffolk growers will be back on their combines, bringing in their winter barley as harvest begins. The Met Office estimates this June was the hottest on record in the UK in the UK history, with average temperatures of 15.8 centigrade to 0.9 centigrade hotter than the joint previous record of 14.9 centigrade in 1940 and 1976. The UK had 68% of its average rainfall for June, with 52.2 millimetres of rainfall. But Suffolk farmers from the far east to far west of the county said cold northeasterly winds brought down temperatures on their farms suggesting some spots were hotter than others. Overall, with some exceptions due to pests and disease or other factors, they are feeling optimistic about their crops at this stage. Andrew Blenkinron of the Euston Estate near Thetford said in East Anglia a cold or cool east wind kept down temperatures in June and it followed a wet, cold spring in March and April. For those on heavier land, he suspected crops weren't badly affected, although on lighter land, like his, crops did feel the effects. Although not ideal, the June temperatures and two and a half inches of rain over the last fortnight had brought on the spring crops, he said. 
It's a reasonably average weather pattern, he said. If someone's been picking up that cool wind off the sea, the crops have not been experiencing those very high temperatures. His sugar beet did start to flag in the heat of the third week in June, but rain arrived just in time. Certainly our winter barley looks as though it's going to be a good year. Winter wheat is probably going to be slightly below average because we have got a lot of light land, wheat affected by those four weeks with no rain. Mark McCarthy of the Met Office said June started with a good deal of high pressure, but that was replaced by warm, humid air with 32.2, sorry, 32.2 centigrade, the highest temperatures reached. What's striking is the persistent warmth for much of the month, with temperatures widely into the mid-twenties Celsius for many and even into the low thirties at times. In contrast with last year's uh, uh, scorching July, this month is likely to be much more unsettled, according to the Met Office. A popular calf in the Suffolk countryside is due to close for a month. Folk calf in Fornham St Martin, near Bury St Edmunds, will be closed from 4pm on the 15th of July to 8.30am on the 15th of August. We outgrew our space within the first year of opening, said restaurant owner Ali Barker. The extension has been a very long time coming and we are happy it's happening. This follows the planned development of the surrounding business court and the popularity of the CAF, leaving several customers disappointed by the lack of available tables. The current building work shows the extension will nearly double the available floor space, as well as provide more toilet facilities. The business has grown rapidly following its opening in December 2018. Originally a team of five, Folk now boasts 25 staff members and has plans for more. We have plans for a total of around 40 staff members when we reopen in August, said Miss Barker. Fun has always been at the heart of what we do, even in times of stress. It is not only the building that is set to change, however. While lots of what we do at Folk will remain the same, our menu, our menu will be updated and the space overall will be much bigger. The expansion will create more space for private events and weddings, as well as a shop and a deli, including a folk larder line. Miss Barker confirmed that there are no more plans for future locations. We just have a big ambition to make our corner of Suffolk extra special. I really have been blessed with the best and can't wait to provide a space that works so much better for us all. Folk closes on July the 15th and the newly extended calf will reopen on August the 15th. A 95-year-old Bury St Edmunds care home resident has become a social media star after her performance was watched by more than 120,000 people. The video of Pammy Jones from Marham House Care Home playing on the home's piano went viral with more than one million views. Pammy couldn't believe the figures and wondered what the fuss was about. The care home staff said that she also enjoys singing and is a, wrap of a ray of sunshine around the home. Pammy was the lead singer in a band in her younger days. To date, the video has 125,000 likes 
thousands of comments and shares and has been viewed more than one million times. And there's a lovely picture here of Pammy on the piano and this story obviously went viral. So well done, Pammy. The annual Stowmarket Food and Drink Festival attracted thousands of people to try a range of cuisines. The event offered all types of food and drink from burgers, paella and burritos to brownies and other sweet treats. Popular food and drink stalls included Peck, Bakerholics, Alder Tree Ice Cream, Little Pig Bakery, Heart of Suffolk Distillery and Pallet Bar. On Twitter, a Stowmarket Town Council spokesman said, What a fantastic day. We hope you enjoyed it. Thank you to everyone who attended and helped make the event a success. The event saw professional chefs like Master Chef star Adam Spicer deliver cooking demonstrations from the Food Museum's Kitchen Theatre. The museum also hosted a free pottery workshop for children and concluded its 26th festival of beer and brewing. And in an email to the Berry Free Press, Clive Roper said, It was a really good event. So good to see the town centre so busy. However, what we do need is more events organised in the centre of town to bring in footfall and business. This and the Christmas event is simply not enough. It would also be good to see some more of the traders who attended this event attend the Thursday and or Saturday regular market. One event like this will not save the town centre. There was a buzz at a school last weekend as former pupils and staff, including an ex-pupil aged 101, returned to share their memories and stories for its 180th anniversary celebration. Guildhall Fefment Primary School in Bury St Edmunds celebrated the milestone with an event for the school community, past and present, featuring an exhibition on the school's history. Those to attend included six members of the class of 1957, who had a reunion, a woman aged 101 who went to the Guildhall Fefment Girls' School when it was at West Well Street, and former head teacher Sue Herriot, who was at the school for 20 years. Event organiser Donna Hazel, a teaching assistant at the school, and also a former pupil said that they had been extremely successful with a great turnout. She said listening to former pupils and staff share their stories of times gone by proves how much the school cares about its community. Guildhall Fefment is clearly loved by all who attended, whether they were there whether they were here sixty plus years ago or still at the school today. As much as it took a lot of time and hard work to put together the historical exhibition for everybody to see, I couldn't have wished for the day to go better. The buzz around the hall as people saw photos of how the school looked back in 1843, saw themselves or family members in photos, read the memories and stories from former pupils and got to catch up with former staff members or classmates. It was electric. I feel very proud to be a part of this school and the memories that it's creating. One of the class of 1957, Colin Green, who's 77, who provided material for the exhibition, said the school did us proud. They did a tremendous job, he said. We all loved looking around the old classrooms. It triggered lots of memories. 
More than a hundred judges have taken to the streets of Bury St Edmunds as they search for the town's best gardens. The volunteer team began their two-week hunt as part of Bury in Bloom Certificates of Merit Initiative to award gardens which enhance the appearance of their neighbourhood. Certificates will be awarded to residential and commercial properties displaying attractive use of garden and container-grown plants at the front of their property. Over 20,000 berry properties will be viewed, including this, ne- this year's new edition of Marham Park and areas of Morton Hall, which used to be part of Ruffham. This year, more points will be allocated to gardens which are wildlife-friendly and have sustainable elements. All front gardens, pots and hanging baskets which are visible from the footpath can win, including houses with no front garden or one used for parking. Judging will finish on July the 16th. And now we have some letters, and the first is from Don Black from Dis. It's entitled Tracing Quirky History of A14. No one these days would dream of founding a Friends of the A14 Society, but this highway from the central crossroads of England to the longest operational quay in Britain at Felixstowe has, in its way, unique attractions. Best of all, perhaps, is Shakespeare's River Avon flowing gently through the park at Stanford, just beyond sight and sound of the A14 junction with the M1 and M6. The bard himself could have written a play based on my imagined part that Oliver Cromwell played in this sign. Huntingdon was his hometown. Naseby Battlefield, adjacent to the A14, was where he won the victory that decided the Civil War. Cromwell named his new flagship Naseby, later renamed Royal Charles, for bringing King Charles II home. He lost no time in making Newmarket, now bypassed by the A14, our horse racing capital. Bury St Edmunds is also bypassed, but the Cathedral Tower can be seen from the A14, a monument to interest taken by King Charles III in its construction. Now we come to Ipswich, ignored by the first sign eastwards on the A14 at Huntingdon. Suffolk's county town, it's it's notable in the transport world for bulk cargoes through the port and famous as home of Cardinal Wolsey. He was surely a far more likeable man than Cromwell. Turning to oddities, there's an area past Ipswich called Seven Hills, after a Bronze Age burial ground. There are, however, 14 of them, all carefully avoided by the A14. Finally, signs point to Felixstowe docks, but there was never more than one of them in the port. No wonder that people find English a difficult language to learn. And the next letter is from Val Fletcher, and the heading is Signs are good that clean-up has started. I was interested to read in last week's Berry Free Press, 10 years ago column, of the, of the 11 new signs to be put up at entrances to the town. As the signs have got dirtier and dirtier, I've spent the last six months trying to find a relevant council person who could tell me who was responsible for cleaning them. No one seemed to know. I'm writing now because I'm delighted to see that the sign I pass regularly on the Sicklesmere Road has not only been cleaned, but the bushes have been cut back 
so that you can see it. Hopefully the other ten signs have been cleaned too and our town can again give visitors the impression that our town is worth visiting. Thank you to whoever put the wheels in motion. A letter from, from D. Crystal of Newmarket. Don't axe rail ticket offices. It's been announced that a consultation will take place on closing rail ticket offices and we all know what cons consultation means. Make your views known, but it will not make an ounce of difference. As we all know, it's just a formality. I always get my rail tickets from an office. I do not get involved in technology, nor have a smartphone. And there are many more like me, who if we need be who, if, if need be, prefer to ask an individual a question, not a machine. It was also stated that tickets could be brought on, bought on trains. How is this going to work when the government is, purchasing, is pursuing the idea of driver-only of drive, driver trains? Or is the train driver expected to get out of his driver's cab at each station and issue tickets? And the next letter is from Gwen Pease of Ipswich. The heading is Colourful Welcome for King. The Scottish service of thanksgiving for King Charles III was a traditional event with some minor changes. It was a colourful scene, the marching bands in their clan tartans, the swirling bagpipes, and then the time-honoured service in St Giles Cathedral, Edinburgh. In 1953, Queen Elizabeth, in everyday clothes, carried the heavy bejeweled crown on a cushion. It was amusing to see she also had a handbag on her arm. King Charles did not lift the weight of the crown, just touched it as he swore the oath. He wore a long velvet robe with ribbons and a feathered hat, as did Queen Camilla. As the red arrows roared, a salute overhead there was a royal wave, but not a handbag in sight. Brian Scott of Stowmarket writes, I'm writing regarding the recent controversy about boys not being allowed to wear shorts at a local school, although girls could wear skirts if they wished. In my school days, grey shorts were compulsory all year until about age 12. It may surprise some readers to know that the vast majority of school uniform items derived from sports clothing. <clears throat> Think about Henley regatta, blazers, striped ties, boaters, which are straw hats, or cricket teams, blazers, ties, caps. Styled shorts are worn in many sports. Girls teams used to wear gym knickers and gym slips and they later formed school uniform in many schools. It was the picture in today's Anglian, July the 5th, of Suffolk's under-14 golf team that caught my eye. How smart they look in identical navy shorts and white shirts. Ideal as a cheap summer school uniform for boys. But there is one caveat. Uniform should mean uniform. That is, everyone wears the same. And this letter is from Graham Day of Stowmarket. The culmination of several months of preparatory work leading to the launch of the Work Furnace Project came on Saturday, June the 17th. Over the years, the manufacturing history of Ipswich, once called the Glasgow of the East, has practically disappeared, 
and the project has sought to rebuild memories of manufacturing sites around the town. The aim was to have a bus tour and parade. I ended up helping to plan the route and writing a commentary which I had to give on the bus. Leaving Princess Street on an open-top Dipswich bus, I was beginning to warm to my commentating task. Approaching Stoke Bridge, as I was about to mention the old Edward Fison works, the trooping of the colour fly-past, roared overhead en route to London. The whole of the upper deck, upper deck strained every sinew to see the planes. Chaos. However, calm was restored, and the bus travelled along Worsted Road, past the sites of Ransoms and Rapiers and Coxages, through Halifax, and out to the spectacular Orwell Bridge, before returning past R.S. and J. and Nacton Road to the waterfront, home of brewery and food industries. Then on to Civic Drive and the Crown Street clothing stroke textile area to Car Street. This was the point for the bus to join the parade. After the bus was garlanded, we moved off in light rain, following drummers and stilt walkers. Many people looked bewildered. Perhaps there could have been more publicity. The final goal was the Corn Hill, and the exhibition, which had been prepared, along with static industrial items like Ransom's lawn mowers and a trident car, which several people were amazed was made in Ipswich, the industrial history of Ipswich will hopefully not now be so forgotten, and I am proud and indeed honoured to have played a small part in such a wonderful and necessary project. We heard earlier about how muntjacks are causing so much damage, and Tom Murray of Bury St Edmunds has written a letter about this. At last week's Bury St Edmunds Town Council meeting, a delayed proposal was brought forward to the new council for plans to protect the allotments from muntjack deer. The proposal is to, one, protect the allotment at Cotton Lane with a deer fence, which would be over six feet high and sealed at the ground level. Two, cull the existing deer population. A further proposal is to build a compostable toilet for allotment holders. As a previous town councillor, I thought to expand on these items. I had looked into them previously to help me understand the implications and costs. My own questions include whether any cull would be professionally handled. Is this a one-off cull or would it have to be an annual event? Both have cost implications. The muntjac have no natural predators and are considered to be vermin under certain protections from the 1991 Deer Act. Next, the fence. Would it include changing the existing gates? How much would it cost? It's a large area, but we cannot keep providing deer with an unending source of allotments builders' produce. What are the initial costs and ongoing maintenance costs? As initial costs could be high, perhaps they could be divided between the Town Council, West Suffolk and Suffolk County Council. Lastly, a compostable toilet suitable for disabled gardeners with full access, probably lit by solar energy, would be a great asset. But it would need maintenance, be checked weekly and secure from vandals. It may also need an alarm just in case someone gets locked in. Is this time sensitive? 
Can it all be done at once or in, in bits and pieces to keep costs reasonable? The Town Council has a healthy financial position. However, this would or could be very expensive, hence my questions of timing, etc. I look forward to the proposals, including the full costs. The current situation cannot go on. It's upsetting our hard-working allotment holders. And another letter from Don Black. It's about school uniforms. I agree with Liz Rushbrook about a young man wearing a skirt to school because shorts are banned, even on a very hot day. She argues against stupid rules that insist on pupils wearing uniforms at £400 a set. In my school days at Stowmarket, around 80, 80 years ago, the situation for boys was even worse. We were allowed on very hot days to shed our heavy jackets to reveal scratchy wartime utility shirts that didn't help our concentration. Girls wore light gingham dresses in summertime. Discrimination in reverse? Some villagers had, maybe still have, parish funds that helped with uniform costs. As for skirts, what's wrong with them being unisex like trousers and shorts? King Charles sets a good example with his kilts. They can be handed down generation to generation, lasting longer than trousers and not shrinking as trousers allegedly do. Barry Peters, the editor of the Berry Free Press, has written, As I made my, work, my way into work earlier this week on one of those July mornings which just sings summer, I did a double take. Walking happily along the street was a lad who must have been no more than seven. He was greatly caressing, gently caressing a football with his right foot with such skill and control it took me back to my own youth. Long July summer holidays of bikes and playing with mates at the park in a very ungrassy goalmouth, Liss. Then home when it got too dark, as none of us had lights on our, on our bikes. Parks don't seem crowded with youngsters any longer. If they are, there are moans and groans on Facebook, usually, about the state of parenting in 2023. And yet, for those youngsters, growing up in the shadow of social media must be a chore at best, threatening at worst. Always on alert for a comment, picture or video, which could ruin your walk. And so yesterday, when Mark Zuckerberg secured more than five million sign-ups to his shiny new threads within hours, it left me wondering about both the positives and negatives about our obsession with social media. Trends come and go, but human nature survives regardless. We can but hope that sensible controls will one day exist to make the internet a more welcoming place for our youngsters. And this is a selection on Chatterbox. Most of the comments on social media this week were about a preview of what the front of the Bury St Edmunds much-anticipated Primark may look like. Work is underway to transform the ground and first floors of the former Debenhams at the Ark Shopping Centre into a branch of the fast shop fashion retailer and artist like of what the new shop could look like was in the development's planning uh, documents. 
Colin Snazel said, It's a shop for the working class of Berry, who often get forgotten about. Bring it on. Christine Barfield added, That is great. There is not a lot more in Berry. Though Christina Bullock did not feel as excited about the development, she said, Oh no, just what the town doesn't need. Fiona Leo's Tilden looked like she agreed. She said, Like I need this in my life in beautiful Bury St Edmunds? Gina Hetherington said, Lost Debenhams, now getting Primark. A deep joy. Not. Die Price liked the idea, but said, I think if it brings people into the town, it has to be good. Only thing is that parking is so expensive. And Barbara Taylor just wanted the return of the good old days. She said, Oh dear, bring back Debenhams. And now we have a feature. When the Flying Fortress welcomes back customers, Keith Elchin will return to to raise a glass to the Bury St Edmunds pub he called home for more than 40 years. For nearly a decade, the wings of the Morton Hall pub have been clipped as the once bustling business has remained boarded up since Keith and his wife Rosemary bid farewell and sold it to Green King. Now the brewery, which was waiting for a housing development around the pub to near, be near completion, he submit, has, they have submitted plans to spruce up and transform the dilapidated premises. It could reopen next year, and Keith, 75 of Great Barton, hopes this, the venue will soar, as it did when he ran it for about 25 years. Back then it sat in open countryside, and he initially lived at the property, Cherry House Farm, as a farm manager for Henry Gooding. He later bought the three-bedroomed home before turning it in, in 1988 into the Flying Fortress, which takes its name from the planes that flew from Ruffham Air Base during World War II. <clears throat> it was a mecca, if you like, said Keith. I wouldn't say it was the heart of the estate, because the estate wasn't there most of the time. To start with, it was in the middle of the field. It was a beautiful setting. But the changing landscape of Berry brought many changes, not least the construction and creeping expansion of Morton Hall, which continues to this day. It now sits at the heart of an un under construction Taylor Wimpy housing development. We were officially in Great Barton at one time, and then we got put into Ruffham and Bury St Edmund, said Keith. There were not an awful lot of people from Great Barton who used to come, and people from out of the town and businesses came for meetings. Mementos celebrating the site's airfield heritage decorated the pub, such as model aeroplanes, photographs and even a machine gun from the airfield, much of which was later, was later donated to Ruffham. Having tried to gain permission to open a bar in several sp spots in Bury, he was, Keith was finally given the go-ahead to convert his house. It was a fairly big operation, said Keith. We did it in three different phases, new kitchens, new function rooms, an extra bedroom wing. Over the years, they employed hundreds of hundreds, including young chefs from college and specialising in carveries. Mothering Sunday was their busiest day, catering for about 300 guests. At one stage, they also sponsored Berrytown Football Club. Organisations from across Suffolk used their large function room for meetings. 
while there were get-togethers, dinners, dances, jazz club evenings and discos. And this is a feature uh, written by uh, local historian Martin Martin Taylor. Its uh, heading is Riding Along on an ASP. American serviceman John Appleby, in his delightful book, A Suffolk Summer, recounts riding around the local countryside on a green hornet bicycle. Here is another such tale on this mode of transport. My father could turn his hand to carrying out repairs to furniture, tools, etc., and was a dab hand at repairing bicycles. During the latter part of World War II, he would cannibalise two or three old bikes and make a reasonably good usable machine, and my older brother Eddie, who would have been 14 or 15 then, would take these rejuvenated modes of transport over to Ruffham Airfield Base, where they were highly prized by the Yanks. Their worth would be whatever they were prepared to pay. They were popular because they could cycle into town, have a beer, enjoy jitterbugging, and be back at base as their comrades were just arriving in the town, having walked there. The bikes became known by the American military as ASPs, ASP standing for All Spare Parts. Cycling has taken off in the last few years, with dedicated cycle lanes appearing here, there and everywhere, though not all of them successful, as a coned-off section of Risbygate Street has proven. As an alternative to the motor vehicle, bicycles are not only cheaper to run, but also good for your health, we are told. Fitness, an important part of today's society. And in Bury, we have been well catered for, even from the earliest days. Thomas Henry Nice at 34 Buttermarket, Ray Mins in St Andrews Street North, Scott's in Brent Goval Street, to become Helford's, now in Robert Booby Way, and Cycle King on Angel Hill. We are coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week, so until then, from Roger, Liz, David and Carol, it's goodbye. Goodbye. listening to a podcast brought to you by the St Edmundsbury News Talk Association. You can view more information about News Talk on our website at www.stedmundsburynewstalk.org.uk. The music in this podcast was provided under Creative Commons license by Scott Holmes. This podcast was created entirely by volunteers in our Bury St Edmunds studio.